And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hi JJ. Hello Joe. John McKenzie. Hi. Oh, I don't get a nickname, do I? Jo- I see. I see how it is. Jonathan Ross Dog McKenzie is here. And of course, also joining us remotely today, all the way from the Fennels of Cambridgeshire, is Steve Hankles the Hankle Man. Hi, Steve. Hey, Joe. That's right. Producer Steve here to guide us through the annals of football today as we uh, discuss all things... (laughs) All things football. Um, What did we discuss today? Well, we started off by talking a little bit about Liverpool, a breaking news story occurring there. So uh, by the time you listen to it, a day later, it will no longer be breaking. But it's breaking for us. And of course, also, we talk about uh, Ralph Hasenhutl saying goodbye to the Premier League sweet Austrian... Uh, <laughs> Keep going, that's funny. Also, we talk about uh, other things happen. All the football happened over the weekend. Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Champ- Chelsea. Champions League draw. Champions League. Oh, the Champions League draw happened while we were recording. We talk about that too. And all the feisty Europa League games coming up. Goodness me. It is a veritable feast of football on today's show. And, of course, we had a long conversation about Gabriel Jesus and his goal-scoring ability too. So there's that to look forward to I for later. trendy things. All the different kind of trendy things. That's right, John got upset because I laughed at him when he said he was trendy. But if you really want to get on top of the trends, then you need to visit theathletic.com. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where every football-related trend can be found and devoured by a hungry consumer base of football fans. Yes? Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where the first story on today's docket, uh, the Liverpool uh, for sale story, was broken by uh, uh, Monsieur David Ornstein at et al. Others too. This is just a kind of place where we break news, guys. Hey, no big deal. No big deal. Let's not waste any further ado. Um, let's... Uh, leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of FSG and uh, we'll talk about that momentarily Yes, okay. First a topic for the docket today. FSG appear to be putting Liverpool up for sale, John. What do you think about that? Yeah, it seems interesting timing, doesn't it? Because obviously things have been a little bit funny around Liverpool at the moment. But yeah, it appears that after 12 years or so of owning the club, they're wanting to move it on. So it does throw everything up in the air a little bit. I think Liverpool have been associated with FSG and I think FSG have been associated with a lot of Liverpool's successes as well. So uh, a lot of uncertainty about what comes next, who comes next in terms of an owner and I suppose what happens to Jurgen Klopp who I think has has been like the big the big thing that they did, right? That's the the, yeah. the decision they made that they got right. 
Yeah. Well, I can tell you that I'm reading from the copy of the Athletics News story. Fenway Sports Group has put Liverpool up for sale. A full sales presentation has been produced for interested parties. FSG has looked at opportunities in the past, but has decided against moving forwards with them. It's unclear whether or not a deal will eventually be done, but FSG is inviting offers. JJ, do you think that Liverpool fans today might be a little concerned about the sort of uh, group or organisation that might be in a position to buy such an expensive asset? I think almost certainly you'd be concerned because there are only certain amounts or certain parts of the world that are able to afford things now. I don't know. You've seen with lots of different owners who don't have the best interest of the club at hand or they want to use it for certain political reasons. It could be a thing you want to have. And if, I mean, if that's a, your club is what so many people in Liverpool are base everything around. You don't want to have any of those values altered or... Um, you know, indirectly or or accidentally by anyone else coming in. Not to say that whoever comes in wouldn't have the best interests at heart. Everyone wants to buy it, but I guess there's also the unrest of what happens with the people below that. And if it's been run so well for the last while, and they've managed to get back to being one of the top European teams again, yeah. If there's, I mean, often you see uh, there was a manager I spoke to once. I think I said this before in the podcast that often what you see on the pitch is representative of what's happening behind the scenes at the very top. So at the very top is very organised, and everything's in place there then you can pretty much be sure that on the pitch you'll have a stable team that's been run well because it all goes through the entire uh, the entire club so yeah. when you have a bit of disarray and you have people coming in who maybe bring in directors and everything doesn't make sense and there's a bit of lack of communication and there's all sorts of politics going within the evening in the club you might start to see a bit of a mess on the pitch replicating what's there i mean that's pretty they can't can't guarantee that's what's going to happen, but sure. that sort of thing has been mentioned to me before. Here's some more, more information. FSG, of course, uh, principally owned by John W. Henry, who was one of the two founders alongside Tom Werner. FSG also owned the Boston Red Sox. Uh, they own television network NESN. Uh, they own 50% of Roush Fenway Racing and Fenway Sports Management. Roush. Maybe it's a diff- pronounced differently. But anyway, Roush, they own 50% of that. Please stop saying that. Uh, Roush. Um, <laughs> FSG sold an 11% stake in the company, $750 million, to Redbird Capital last year. Redbird, who were the investors, they, they now own AC Milan, don't they? Yeah, I think they, they're they in the ownership group that owns that. And Toulouse as well, I think. Toulouse. Redbird Capital are, are taking over sports clubs and running them according to data principles. Mm. Um, so, yeah, which is something that we'll see happening more, I guess. Um, the idea there is that, you know, as we've already talked about, it's hard to make money in, yeah. in football. So the, the idea is this, if we use the data, we should be able to exploit market inefficiencies, etc. So, sure. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the only other thing to speak about, I suppose, is Jurgen Klopp, who, you know, we spoke on last week's podcast before a couple of impressive wins uh, about his, um, you know, his potential future. I have no idea whether this throws that into uh, any... Um I can only imagine it would possibly be up for a doubt if certain owners would come in that go against his ideologies and uh, things he's spoken quite strongly about this week to do the Qatar World Cup. I suppose we'll follow the story more as we can. John, I think you're planning to uh, to interview someone from The Athletic about this very shortly. So if you're interested in more information about this, then check out those presumably by now uploaded a video about this on TIFA IRL. But for now, let's move on with the rest of the show. Okay, let's talk about uh, Ralph Hasenhutl. Dan Sheldon and Jacob Tanswell of The Athletic, of course, confirmed, well, they uh, wrote over the weekend and then on Monday confirmed that um, he has departed the club after nearly four years in charge at St Mary's, which for a Premier League manager is a rather long time, we should say. I actually spoke to a friend about the Southampton sacking. Oh, that's... 
Not on the plan. Okay. Well, asking how he uh, thought about it. Do you want me to play it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've got the volume on. This is a successful start, isn't it? Yeah, this is yeah. good. I do have the volume on. Yeah. Take two. I mostly feel sad because I like Ralph, but I think we've lost our sense of identity. The pressing's diminished. And although we've recruited good young players, uh, people like Lavia and Pizzuno, it feels like the club's kind of drifting a bit. I'm surprised, perhaps, that the new ownership didn't adjust things sooner. But Ralph has been a long-serving and generally admired manager, except for the last couple of seasons. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's sad. Who's that? That's Alex Stewart. Alex who? You know, the guy you fired. Alex Stewart? Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, he was really nice. You fired him. Do you remember? And you said, if you don't leave now, I'm going to follow you to your house. I'll track you down. I've no memory of that person. It was in the night. You howled and then sort of you stretched your arms like, like you know, like all big. And there's a big howl into the, into the moon. And then you disappeared. And I heard that there was some sort of disturbance at Alex Stewart's house. Right. Yeah. You definitely know who we he is. We sorted you out there. Sounds got like your clothes back on and decent got take, you to bed, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I said sometimes you're two people. I think maybe this was the... One of the other, I, I <laughs> the, the other one. This yeah. was this was um, cruel. Well, all all I can cool. say is that he, he he sounds like a very nice person. Um, uh, Not having the crow thing. Can't, can't no idea. You wouldn't know who crow is, I guess. Who's crow? It's the other one of you. Oh, the Joe and crow. Right, Joe and crow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Ralph Hasenhutl uh, being let go, though, John? It feels like it's sort of something that's kind of been oft thought might happen. And now has happened. Yeah, I mean, as as you mentioned before, I think Alex mentioned the new ownership have come in. Who? And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. I don't mean to derail. <clears throat> new, new ownership has come in. And I think whenever that happens, it's always tricky to keep uh, a coach that's been on before because you're always going to be expected to... Uh, well, you're always going to be held to account for anything that happens. And if you don't change the manager, it can become tricky. But obviously, Hasenhutl was there for a while. And I think he adopted a, a way of playing that I think has since been questioned. You know, that the sort of Red Bull style hasn't really worked so well in the Premier League. And this season, they tried to change things up a bit. So mm. not only did they bring in younger players, as Alex mentioned, but they started trying to play less aggressive. I mean, there was a new coaching football. staff as well, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah, they were trying to switch their play style. And I guess the, the issue is always going to be, like, if you're going to try and switch your play style away from what is Hasenhutl's specialism, then why not just bring in a coach who is able to yeah. coach that play style as a, as a starting point? Well, let me tell you this. As part of the, um, of the club's statement, they said Hasenhutl, who was appointed in December 2018, departs having made a significant contribution to the club, overseeing some memorable results. Uh, <laughs> And you laugh because, like, <laughs> <laughs> because the two nine nils, presumably, and I think this potentially unfair to, to Hasenhutl, probably will come to define his time there. How fair a reflection do you think that will be if in five years' time we remember Ralph Hasenhutl as the guy who lost nine nil twice? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because if he'd have lost one seven nil and the other one ten nil, yeah. people wouldn't remember it. It's the fact that they both landed on the same number. But yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, it's important to say that Hasenhutl did a good job. He kept a team in the Premier League for a long time who weren't spending a lot of money. I mean, they were they were making decent money through transfers. They were bringing players in for 10, 15 million and selling them for 20, mm. 25 million. Um, 
And that, when that's the context within which you're operating as a manager, I think staying in the league is impressive because mm. you're constantly sort of fighting against all of the odds to stay there. So I think it's worth worth saying that. But um, at the same time, I think the, the, the new ownership clearly want to take a, a different track now. Yeah. I think, and we're seeing that happening more and more now is that owners of clubs, especially in the Premier League, want to compete. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous because mm. it's probably never been harder to compete in the sure. top, top division. But um, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how they, how they go from here. Someone trying to get in. Yeah, it's Crow. It's Crow. <laughs> <laughs> it's Alex Stewart trying to, trying to get back in. So. You buried him underneath the floor. <laughs> this is. I'll try and make this relevant. I was thinking about who to go as on Football Manager this year, and I was thinking Southampton might be quite a good save because it's a real challenge, right? It's a low budget, and um, they've got decent young players coming through. I mean, that's, that's their, their whole model is you buy, you buy low, sell high, right. Back to John and JJ's yeah. business class right yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we have a different module, which is buy high, sell low. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's, less, it's less successful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's You're going to work out one day, though. One day that plan is going to come good. I do yeah. like that bit of the course. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they have good young players, and it's a, it's a big club. You know, it's lots of history and whatever you want, so all the things you want to have in it. And then I thought, but what's really the point? Because as soon as you got them good, it would take a good four or five years of buying Brazilian wonder kids before you can make them anywhere decent. That's true. And then really, it's just Man City, Newcastle, Man United will just own the world forever because they've got all the money. Like, soon it'll become like, I was thinking this, I'm <laughs> quite uh, negative this morning, but the Premier League will just turn into like every other league where there's just two big teams that beat everything because they've got all the money. It'll I'm change sure then again. I'm not sure that's true though. I mean, Maybe I think, not. You know, part, of the, part of the idea surely is that the Premier League kind of is becoming the Super League and the idea that there are big players who are choosing to go to Premier League mid and, and lower lower leagues, yeah. lower table sides than, than our Europa League teams in the rest of Europe. But the skills of it, right? Because I, mean, I agree with that, obviously. But I think the Premier League is probably the only league that can survive that right now. But it's it can't be coincidental that there are... I mean, the Liga has got two teams that always win it. Atletico did well to try and challenge it for a while. They seem to have fallen away. And then Germany, Bayern Munich will win it forever and ever. France, PSG occasionally get knocked out with someone else because it must be quite funny to beat them in France. And that's why it works there. So, I mean, eventually over time, say five, ten years, it might end up being that this is what's happening. It's happening in front of us very slowly, very stealthily. It's just what's happening. So it'll be it's like... It's just a Gulf state proxy war. Yeah, it'll just be like in the Scottish Premiership, yeah. Where you've got, uh, well, they're not owned by the Gulf states, but, you know, Celtic Rangers so far had anyone else. You can't touch them. Sure enough, Rangers lost to St. Johnson yesterday, but it doesn't really matter. But, like, they'll still be top forever. And then Premier League... I wonder if that will happen. I hope not. Maybe. Can I tell you who my shout is for a, a, a football manager save for this new... I think you've just wobbled John's camera there. He's just trying to erase me from... He doesn't want you to be part yeah, of this. Cray Cray is onto it. He oh, got oh. rid of Alex and now he wants to like shift me out. He, he's Crow. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is. Jamie's tripping over some stuff. I'll carry on talking as, a, as, as we reshuffle the camera. So if you hear some... Me- mechanism noises in the background don't worry it's just our in-house robot jamie who's fixing things my shout for an fm save for the new game barcelona i think that's the best one because they've got fuck all money right so after year one you're going to have to sell players and it's like it's it's quite a pure rebuild job at a club that are still amazing and still have amazing players and yeah. in the future would have lots of money surely that'd be fun well I did it last season I did it last year did you yeah and I thought the same thing it'd be really difficult it was easy right I won the league easily because I'm amazing at it I see. also it just was easier and then suddenly you have money yeah it works out in the end for them well out. 
Can I say, if you want to hear more about doing a Barca save, according to Steve Hankles, you can listen to this week's FM pod from the Athla. He hasn't finished typing the sentence. What a shame. We'll never <laughs> He's know. He's ellipsis, so, so you have to get al- athletic. Yeah. Dot, and, dot, then look. Dot, and then look. And then look at the camera. Yeah, yeah. But if we do stay on um, Hassenhuttle, like he did, I think, must have overperformed slightly because they didn't have a great team for a long time. And when you have players who aren't as good as other teams... I think having a clear uh, branded style of football is one way to make sure that you have identity within the league, but also just a way of beating people that isn't... If you do like a Mark Hughes and you turn up and you just have some players on the pitch and hope they do all right because they've got good players, it doesn't work. And it's very stylized. And it was fun to watch. I thought for a while, I thought he really could be... If they'd invested in him and kept going up and up and up, he might have been able to be well, something special. This is the thing, isn't it? Like I see a tweet here from from uh, Tommy Lufc who says that Rangnick and Hasenhutl both tried to implement variations of the Red Bull system in the PL to little success. That's true, but also it feels a little disingenuous because Rangnick was in an extremely difficult situation. And I think if if anyone listening has read the long reads from the Athletic about the, you know the inside track of his time there, they will appreciate why perhaps it's not that straightforward to implement a new system at Manchester. United, or at least it wasn't for him at the time. And with Hasenhutl, as we've said several times already, um, his squad wasn't invested in. And, 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 and like, presumably, John, like a big part of the of the Red Bull um, ethos when it comes to those two clubs, even though I know people hate it when we say Red Bull ethos, um, the RB ethos is uh, is investment, even if it is on a smaller scale, even if it's very very smart scouting. I mean, is it fair to judge that type of football? Jesse Marsh, of course, also part of this when the you know the context of those two results are such i guess the issue comes down to what the fans expect from watching a team right and if you feel as though your team is just a cipher for a big corporation to either sell their product mm. or make money and you don't enjoy the football and you don't feel as though there's any because that's where Tommy goes on in that tweet. He says, for me, this is the elephant in the room. I don't mind our staff or players talking about Leeds. I'm just not convinced by the system in terms of its usefulness at this level. And that's where it comes down to, because I think the big question then becomes, is this a long-term strategy which will actually get your team to the level that the fans want them to be at. And obviously fans of Leeds see them as being a sleeping giant, regardless of whether or not anyone else agrees. But the idea that we we can sort of shithouse our way to 14th place this season to to stay in the in the league is probably not in the long term a particularly attractive proposition to Leeds fans and that's where we're seeing this cultural divide now in the in the Leeds fan base you get people on the one side saying oh you've got short memories it's it was wasn't that long ago when we were in the championship and everyone wanted to be in the Premier League to people on the other side being like if this is what the Premier League is why are we so bothered about being here? Phil yeah. Hay wrote a really good piece on this recently, and he was saying, you know, we're told all the t- uh, all the time that the Premier League is the is the big show. It's where we w- we should want to be. But for the actually for the fans, it's not a particularly attractive experience. In which case, why are we being told that we must stay in this division at all sure. costs yeah. if we enjoy the the championship? Hey, listen, more? Uncle Damien loves it in the Championship with Norwich because his team win, <laughs> and it's fun. I think he quite enjoys the sort of the, the refresh challenge, the up and down nature of it, because it also, he said um, when they went down to League One, what was that, about eight, ten years ago now, maybe? That was before Paul Lambert became, maybe longer, before Paul Lambert became the manager. After Norwich lost 7-1 to Colchester in League One, Paul Lambert was their manager. They took him and then got promoted twice in a row. 
But he said he had a lovely time that year. It was obviously disappointing, but he got to go to all these new grounds. He, he's, a, in a way, traveling fan, a, a, a violent hooligan. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> is that okay to say? Obviously it's not. It's okay because he's not fans, actually a violent Yeah, and I, 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 it was, the joke was about away fans being violent hooligans, and they're not, of course. Um, but uh, Uncle Damien very much is. Um, if you see him in a town that isn't London, just stay out of the way because um, <laughs> your shop windows might be cracked. Unless, of course, you go to the old Red Line Theatre pub in Angel. Yeah. In which case, he's the finest. Oh, landlord. a fiery thespian instead. He yes. loves it there. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely adores it there. But seriously, though, do, again. <laughs> do you go to the Red Line, but also do. If you see him outside of London and Norwich, it's just, it's not worth it. It's really not. I think that's enough now. Let's talk instead about the Champions League because the Champions League draw has occurred. Um, it was occurring as we spoke. Now let's discuss it. I'll go through the games as they stand. RB Leipzig have drawn Manchester City, JJ. Uh, and it seems, I know that there's a sort of, there's a kind of cliche here. There's a bit of a stereotype. There's a, uh, a common said uh, theme that Manchester City... A conspiracy. A conspiracy. That, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. That Manchester City appears to get, you know, rather easy teams in the round of 16. I don't know whether that's true. I haven't done my research. There's no easy games at this level, Joe. RB Leipzig? No easy games at this level. It's one of the easier games. They Maybe. also finished first in their group and got to play against someone who finished second in there. That's true. Let's talk and about the group also, that RB Leipzig Guardiola has a habit of changing his tactics drastically against teams like this because he sees what their individual threats are and then they tend to get little bits of joy <laughs> against them. Right, okay. But well, yeah, This is, a, this is a battle of cultures, isn't it, right? Yeah. This is Man City, the most sort of idealistic team in world football ever, perhaps. Yeah. And then RB Leipzig, who are, uh, as we've already talked about, they're playing that style of play, which is designed to almost game the system a little bit. So mm. it could be a fun game. Do you think it will be interesting come February? Uh, it's not the game I'll be watching, no. at least, no. <laughs> okay. But I think it could be interesting. Let yeah. me predict the game that you'll be watching is Club Brugge versus Benfica. That's right, you know me so well. Can we Joe. just have a quick conversation about this as well? Because I've always said Club Brugge before, because, of course, the, the town or city in Belgium, oh, it's a lovely place, I've been there, is, we call it Bruges. But apparently in football, you say Brugge. Yeah, I believe it's in Flanders, isn't it? In Brugge. Flanders for the character from The Simpsons? Is that Flemish? <laughs> yeah, so. Flanders? Is that Flanders? Dutch, Flemish? It's the Dutch speaking part of Belgium, or oh. the Flemish speaking part of Belgium. Oh. So I guess it's it's correct to call it by its Flemish name. Brugge. Yeah, whereas Anderlecht is in the French speaking part. Is that right? No, maybe that's wrong as well. I think it's right. Liège you is definitely you in don't the French. Appear speaking. To know, do you? So you'd say standard Liège. Can I tell you a little fact about Belgium now? No. Yes. Uh, well, I'll tell JJ. It's yes and. <laughs> it's yes and. Uh, JJ, uh, did you, you know, of course, that uh, Laurie Whitwell and Nick Miller of The Athletic are on a journey across Europe and Asia. They're yes. driving, it's called uh, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, and then uh, the subtitle, I can't remember. But they are accompanied by our friend Martino Simsic, uh, who's a, f- a fantastic video producer, videographer, used to work at Copa 90, I think was re- one of the people responsible for the Derby Days videos, if you remember those back, at, back in the day. Good, good fun stuff. He's following Nick and Laurie as they uh, make their journey to Doha via uh, various different means of transport. And uh, they were having a lovely time. Everything got off to a great start until day three or four when all of the cameras were stolen (laughs) (laughs) on a train in Belgium between Anderlecht and somewhere, Brussels maybe. (laughs) It wasn't Brugge or anything. But poor guys, it was a busy commuter train apparently. And um, that will have... 
didn't mean to use this pun, that will have derailed the... Uh, yes. The <laughs> yes, I mean, luckily they found the... a fantastic camera shop in Amsterdam uh, when they arrived and uh, have managed to, to replace all the equipment, which is great news. What happened but, to Mark um, Rebier? He was doing a tour and someone nicked all the stuff out the back of his car. They right. just parked it for a bit. Yes. And buy everything again. There we go. And Mark Rebier, the, the TikToker. Rebier, well, he's not a TikToker. Well, he got big on TikTok there, didn't he? No, he got big on YouTube, he's streaming all the time. And the then YouTuber. Now he's a ma- like now he can headline festivals. He's an enormous, enormous talent. He's great. I think it was TikTok that made him big, really. Mark Rebier, are you kidding? Yeah, pretty sure it was TikTok. No way. Pretty sure TikTok not brought sure him to a TikTok. new... Yeah, he's on TikTok, 100% on Is TikTok. He? It's, yeah, yeah, well, 100%. he's a content creator for that then, and he's, he's YouTube, it doesn't matter. Sure. I mean, can I just say, Benfica are amazing. Yeah, what's the deal with Benfica? Because of all the group finishes that I noted uh, as noteworthy, Benfica winning Group H, which included PSG, who came second, Juve, who finished third with three points, the same as Maccabi Haifa. Uh, <laughs> they I finished mean, top of that Lord. group because they scored loads of goals in the last game. Did they indeed? And, and I think they, they, won six they one, scored yeah. the last goal in injury time. I think it was a Joao Mario finish from like 25 yards and it put yeah. them top of the group on what was it? It's not even goal difference. It was mm, well. I mean, the, no, it was it was beyond that. It was like goals four or something. Their club executive. It was it was head to head. I think it, it would was have been, head. Right? To, uh, no, I, I, I thought they, it was. It was away goals. Away That's goals. What it was. Well, yeah. that that extra time or added time goal has proved to be extremely useful for Benfica because PSG, who finished second, will be will be facing Bayern. So I'm sure the Benfica club executives will be sitting around rubbing their hands <laughs> with glee. Why are you so excited about them? Benfica? They're just really fun. So we're going to try and do a video on this on Tifo IRL soon. It is coming. People who keep asking. The comments i'm doing it soon but they've got really good players and they play a really good style of football roger schmidt is the manager they had a bit of a bad time somewhere where did he go ajax and it didn't work out was it uh, no was it, was it psv psv it was one of the dutch teams anyway it was at final as well i can't remember i'll check this out because we should thank you like good to have good knowledge in that rather than guessing but uh the team plays really they're really fun to watch it's a 4-2-3-1 4-4-2 sometimes but they've got like, the players individually gonzalo ramos is this young striker has been linked with a lot of big clubs he was heavily linked with newcastle and i think man united in the summer psv david david neres really good winger then there's this young guy antonio silva is this 18 year old center back who is another future wonder kid Joe Mario Alex Grimaldo at left back Nicholas Otamendi still plays he plays there but they just play nice football they keep the ball they win it back they score the goals they're right. just a decent team all and things that football teams need to do to win games yeah I, I thought they outplayed PSG in the games that they that they played against them. I think they drew one of them or did they drew both I can't remember they drew both I think I couldn't possibly tell you well they just looked Solid for players who are not like we look at the team sheets Benfica versus PSG. Like, on paper, clearly PSG are miles better. Sure, but Benfica genuinely are like a team, and they just seem to be better with the component parts. Than, yeah, than PSG. Well, well, Porto won their group as well, which was Group B. B. Yeah, Club Brugge um, coming second in that with Leverkusen and Atletico both out in third and fourth on five points. Again, I think that group Porto. You perhaps expect Leverkusen Atletico. I think a bit of a bit of a surprise there. But on the Portuguese teams John I mean what's happening is something happening in Portugal we expect Porto to go through to the the round of 16 Benfica as well feels you know it's quite exciting I'm not going to pretend I know much about Portuguese football but someone who does know about Portuguese football is Tiago Estevão Mm -hmm. who is well known to people sure generally Tiago Estevão to people who don't know who he is because I wouldn't know you guys (laughs) (laughs) Um, he is he is um, am I allowed to say what he is I, I don't know 
He he's, he's a monster. He works in football. He works for a, for a big football club. Yes, I think you can find out on the internet if you want to. It yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, he he, he mainly he's expert. He mainly plays Rocket League with us. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, that's what he's most famous for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's absolutely fucking shit at that game. He's <laughs> oh so bad at that game, and I hate him. But he's got really good football insights. <laughs> yes, yeah. he has. Uh, he is Portuguese and he knows the league really well. And he said this has sort of been happening for a long time that Portugal has been producing sides that get through in the in the in the group stages of the Champions League. And I, I guess this is the first time that two teams have finished top of their groups for sure. a long time. A long so time, yeah. it does indicate that something is happening in Portugal. I just want to hammer home that it's not because he's your mate that he's got valuable information. It's because he is a scout at a high level club. That's, <laughs> he's got valuable information. Did it seem like we were saying because he was friends with us, he would know things? Uh, no. <laughs> I just want to make sure because people, people who aren't people we know listen to this podcast sometimes. Yeah. I think that was clear already. I don't. I mean, we said he worked for a major European club. Are you, is your brain switched on? <laughs> Is it switched off again? It happens sometimes. John, while I'm talking, earlier. will you just walk around the back and just <laughs> just just wind him in the back? He's on the tube, and all of a sudden, they, like that tube stop just missed, and I was just here. <laughs> what? What's going on? He is crow. He's, he's finally just he is he's crow. Yeah, now we finally know what it's happened blanks, to Alex. Stewart. Blanks of memory he's that he can't. Videos recently. Speaking yeah. of crow, there's, that's not. It doesn't work, work at all. Come on, you can do uh, this. Uh, Make spe- it work. Speaking Make it of work. crow, a very intelligent animal, of course, <laughs> and one of the most intelligent animals we know is Antonio Conte. He's mm. a highly evolved. Intelligent animal? Does that make? Does that work? Am sure. I in dodgy ground here? No, no I think it's probably in fine. In terms isn't of it? what crows or Antonio? In terms content. of um, uh, of uh, mechanisms, not mechanisms. Processes. Ruminations, not ruminations. <laughs> What's how? How is I, want this, I just want this. Se- I just want this segue to end. How is please? it when they go forwards? You encouraged me. Uh, AC Milan are playing Tottenham, which is quite an exciting game. JJ, uh, the yeah. winner of Serie A playing Tottenham. <laughs> yes, it was good for Tottenham fans because it's very exciting to have AC Milan come to that lovely stadium that yeah. Spurs have and Spurs fans can go to the San Siro, which is obviously lovely and they're yeah. going to take it down soon. Yeah, I mean, build a new might, one. might be the last, so one of the last opportunities. Yeah. And also, like AC Milan, for those younger listeners who don't don't even know, AC Milan were massive for many years. They well, were one of the biggest teams in the world. They're they won the Champions League all the time. second biggest European Cup winners of all time. Oh, there we go. Yeah. See, see, you might forget You with the knowledge there. I do know that. Yeah. I do know that. But Thank some you. of the great teams, I remember watching Ancelotti's AC Milan, uh, probably the most famous for me, which would have all the, the big players in, like, Kaká! Yeah. Kaká! Yeah, yeah that, nicely. that should have been that the, was segue. the segue. That was the segue. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we get a Spurs <laughs> out of sorts. I'm sure we'll talk about them in a bit. Other Premier League clubs, maybe we already have, depending no, no, on how we'll, this podcast We'll, we'll come to but. discuss their game over the weekend as well. Eintracht Frankfurt have picked up Napoli, um, which is an, an exciting fixture. And, um, you know, Napoli, if we have time today, we'll talk about their win over Atalanta as well over the weekend. Still uh, steaming ahead at the top of Serie A, looking fine. Yeah, I think so. They they struggled a bit this weekend, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think they will ease past Eintracht. Sure. For it. Okay, fine. Um, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea. We haven't talked about Liverpool, Real Madrid, which I feel like is a big fix. I'm coming back to that to do at the end. Okay. But, you know, thanks for spoiling it. You know, you can trust me Sorry. as a host. You know, I have been doing this for a long time. No, I, I mean, I believe you. I was just If you're making... not careful, Crow's going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> and we've heard about what Crow's done to other unmentioned members of this team previously. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I had actually just completely missed that off the yeah, list. I, I uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid. What a big game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Liverpool turning into Real Madrid in a lot of respects, I think. In how, so far how so? As, well, you Much know, like Joe turns into Crow. Yes. 
The segues today. Yeah, devastating mind, mind uh, consequences. But do go on. I, I just mean in terms of like the fact that we've always talked about how Real Madrid can't control games. Mm. And they sort of rely on moments to get through games. Magical and, moments. Yeah. And I feel like Liverpool are turning into that a little bit now. Like their pressing isn't working so well. So if we're going to talk about the, the game yesterday yeah. against uh, Spurs. But that was a game where Liverpool got their goals in the first half and then just lost control in Held the second on. half. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let, in fact, when we talk about that, let's come back to discuss uh, what, oh, I suppose, this game's so far in advance. It's miles away. Because you see, the Real Madrid looked like they were from a different planet when they played Celtic. It was like watching yeah. two different sports being played. It was, right. The, the gulf is... 5-1 doesn't do it justice. Right. It was... Two different sports. Oh, diggity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Borussia Dortmund-Chelsea is a, is another fixture. Well, I guess there's the, the, the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang reunion core. <laughs> Maybe we can get Arsenal involved in it somehow and it can be all the teams. It's the, it's the Champions League Arsenal aren't in the Champions League. Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. Inter Milan-Porto. We've talked a little bit about Porto. Inter Milan um, struggling a little bit in Serie A this season, John. I suppose that's a, a bit of a difficult one to predict. That feels on the list. That feels like the most sort of classic... Round of 16 fixture, though, doesn't it? Milan-Porto, Inter-Porto, Inter yeah. Yeah, Inter lost to Juventus yesterday. He, we've Oops. been saying for... <laughs> I said the wrong... I said Milan instead of Inter, and he looked at me funny. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember what I just said. Inter... Because oh, yeah, you have Inter some analysis to... on this podcast, though. I feel like we haven't had any... This, this is going well. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Inter lost to, to Juventus yesterday, who we've been talking about as being pretty pretty poor this season. And, right. Um, I, mean, so, I mean, Juventus have had a poor season, but are, are still well in contention for... For Champions League and, and yeah, Inter just sort of dropping away a little bit, which is mm. which is kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they just said the word interesting loads there. It's interesting. Interesting. That's yeah. why. Um, but <laughs> okay. yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see. I use a different word. Fascinating to see how they yeah. how they sort of turn things around because yeah. it feels like with Inzaghi, maybe things are getting a bit stale. So yeah, okay. And the final game is PSG Bayern Munich, which is also a big a big banger. Feels like a big banger, uh, JJ. Yeah, John did a great video on PSG. Last week, I think, on TIFO IRL. So you want to learn all about PSG and whether they're really good enough to win the Champions League this year. Have you seen our TikTok went viral? Which one? Our Messi one. The one I did? Yeah. Well, that's good. It did... Uh, I had a feeling like that might happen. 200, Messi on our TikTok. 200 and something thousand views over Is the week. Is that right? It's got 43,000 hearts on it. Is oh, that a like word. on TikTok? A TikTok like? You are looking at the wrong person here. Yeah. I was kind I of trying to look at Jamie, actually, but you were in his way, so, you know. Does Jamie understand TikTok? <laughs> He's a young man. <laughs> Jamie says yes. And that's how we know it's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, for more detailed information on PSG, John's done out in a video, so I'd watch that. But uh, I think we're probably going to end up at some point, maybe in the last game, talking about what PSG need to do to really win the Champions League, which is probably not have <laughs> like five individual golden boys doing all the bits and pieces. But I will say, uh, like Messi is maybe back to his absolute best. His numbers are incredible, but just watching him is We've seen that a thousand times. It's pure joy. It's so fun to watch Messi. Neymar's also playing really well right before the World Cup. And you've got Mbappe. They've changed the system a little bit. So Mbappe and Messi play their side of this front too with Neymar coming in the 10 and they all rotate a lot. It's really, it's quite fun to watch. And the midfield's changed this season as well. Verratti and, I know, Fabian Ruiz plays mostly, does it? Or, yeah. Yeah, they've been, names? yeah, they've been playing Fabian Ruiz and someone else who I can't remember. Who is it? Someone young, I feel. Carlos oh, Vitinha. Vitinha, yeah, he's been playing well, yeah. And in Bayern, um, trying to transition a bit under uh, Julian Nagelsmann, but you've got Chupo Moting is suddenly now <laughs> at 33, as good as Messi. <laughs> yeah. He scored in every one of his like, last nine games or something crazy. Wow. Like, was it? That's and too uh, much, isn't it? Lovely. Bayern Munich are finally 
top of the Bundesliga after <laughs> a huge oh. a huge amount of time. So well. Union Berlin finally getting crushed yes. by uh, Leverkusen yesterday. I so. believe Seb Stafford was at that game, which is why so. he's not here today on the on the podcast. But um, I'm sure we'll hear. We'll hear more about that in the future. Uh, before we move on from the Champions League entirely, you've mentioned Celtic already, uh, JJ. I can tell you that in, in the group that Napoli were in, Rangers officially became the worst Champions League team in the group stages ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they also lost to St. Johnston over the weekend in the Scottish Premiership yeah. as well. So a bit of a tough time of it for Rangers. What you've done there is given me a really good opportunity to do something that many Aberdeen fans would like mm-hmm. to do. But as mm-hmm. a neutral journalist, yeah. I will say, well, it's a shame that the... It's quite an interesting sentence, that, that what you just said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously... Mm-hmm. Carry on, though. On one hand, it is funny. <laughs> on another hand... It's um, also funny. <laughs> yeah. Celtic and Rangers just looked so, so out of it. And uh, uh, like having been giants in European football before, like genuinely they were. I mean, Rangers won the Europa League final last season. I don't know, like, it's compared to like Victoria Pilsen, just a team you just don't really think about. With, with, all, with all respect of it, you know, the, the history of that club and all the fans who support them, you just, they're just basically like that now. Just no chance whatsoever in that Champions League. Europa League's better off. Helps the coefficient as well. Just go for that, lads. Just do that. Well, I feel, I mean, I feel talk- duty bound to say that Celtic were much better in the Champions League this time round. Sure. Rangers. No, they, they definitely were. To be clear, they were. <laughs> Rangers, were, they're having a bad time just now. Like you are correct. Can, can I just that. make the point that John is just obsessed with Ange Postecoglou? That's yeah. why. He well, he's ma- that. he's brilliant. Postecoglou. He'll sure. be in Premier League soon. Lots of Rangers fans are very unhappy with Giovan Bronckhurst. But then these things tend to happen with managers. We get a few bad results and they lose a bit of shape and whatever. Then results start to go against you. It shouldn't lose to St. Johnson ever, but it just seems like I think a lot of teams are just shut down now towards the World Cup. Yeah. And maybe Rangers are doing that sort of thing where it's almost over. Although, weirdly, I tell you this the other day, like Aberdeen play Celtic on the, the day before the World Cup final. Right. That league starts again then. Yeah. I guess it can. This year's weird. Uh, well, anyway, let's talk about the Europa League before we go to a break. You've mentioned it there. It's about to get very, very difficult, and I'll explain why. Uh, because there's a list of seeded teams here that include teams such as Manchester United, Michelin, Monaco, Nantes, PSV Eindhoven, Rennes, Roma, and Union Berlin. Right? Those are the seeded teams. The unseeded teams that I'm assuming, uh, I'm inferring from this plan, means that they'll be facing the seeded teams in the round of 16, include Ajax, Barcelona, Juventus, Leverkusen, Salzburg, Sevilla, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Sporting, right? <laughs> Which is tough. The, Euro- the Europa League uh, first knockout stage, there's going to be some tasty games, John. Yeah, I feel like there's been a bit of a weird like upheaval in the Champions League in terms of teams going through that we might not have expected to and teams not going through who you might have expected to. And that's meant that, that the, the standard of the Europa League now is, is incredibly high. Um, so, yeah, it's, and it's, the, it's, it's more fun, isn't it? It's just more fun knowing that knowing that you're going to see matchups that you haven't seen before or for for a very long time whereas like Bayern PSG okay it'll be a fun game but like no one's intrigued as to the narrative of that it's it's sort of the the Champions League has become which of the super giants is going to win this time through I feel quite underwhelmed by this Champions League draw I'm a bit more excited about what happens to like who yeah. Barcelona play who Man United play for some reason I'm not sure why that is yeah I'm a Freiburg fan and they got through to the Europa League and they've uh, they've done really well they topped their group and they've played teams that I would you just wouldn't ever expect them to play. And they have the chance now of playing some really big teams in Europe. And that, that for me is way more compelling a competition than just being like, okay, like who's going to, are Man City going to Man City their way out of the Champions League 
as they always do every season. It's, it's, and I suppose this is the, the big question about the European Super League, right? Is that how, how much do people care about the same big teams playing against each other? To what extent is rarity like a, but then, a better? I mean, I compare it to when you play like FIFA or something like that, because you always do go as the big teams against each other. But it's actually more fun when you go with the randoms. <laughs> when you push a random square and get random teams against each other, that's when it becomes more fun against your pals. I don't know. The Super League would probably work not in the format that was, uh, you know, put together in the, the first place because the big teams are the ones that everyone does watch. And as we said, Premier League slowly might end up becoming like another one of these European leagues, which is just dominated by the ones with the most money, which will happen over time stealthily. So in Football Manager, interestingly, apparently after about two years, the format changes to just being a big uh, league. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah, they also they, they also predicted that the Qatar World Cup would be taken away from it, which didn't happen. They have like they have like variants, don't they, in Football Manager? Like some timelines are different, different realities, others. different dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Because time fun. isn't linear. Speaking of time not being linear, um, they are actually doing the uh, the draw Europa right League now, draw yeah. right now. So um, by the time you listen to this, we will probably know what the uh, well, we'll definitely know what the games are, but we don't know as we're saying it, yeah? So if you want to leave a comment or get angry, feel free. But just bear in mind, we don't know. By the time that you listen to it, we will know. So again, time will know then. Because then we don't know, but now we also don't. Um, Anyway, one thing I'd love to say, we talked about Shakhtar, or Shakhtar Donetsk already. The Athletic have made an incredible podcast miniseries, having spent some time with them. That's right, Steve. There's three episodes out now, isn't there? Yeah, um, as you'll listen to it on uh, Tuesday, there are three episodes that you can go and listen to immediately and more are coming. So they're basically Adam Crafton and Jerry Derso from The Athletic have over the sort of past few weeks and months been in contact and speaking to players and non-playing staff at Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, Shakhtar Donetsk from the eastern region of Ukraine originally, a good few years ago now, famous for Brazilian players such as William and, and others coming through there. Fernandinho, of course, uh, X-Men City player. Shakhtar haven't played at the Donbass Arena since 2014 due to the beginnings of what would then, obviously, as we now know, become the full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia. So they've been sort of homeless, in a manner of speaking, since 2014. In that time, they've managed to remain competitive, so much so that they are in they were in this year's Champions League. Obviously, by now we'll know who they will be playing in the Europa League because they finished third very narrowly as well. But this series, Adam and Joey um, speak to the captain, Shakhtar's director of football, Dario Serna now, who, of course, played for them as well. It's an incredible story, really, in terms of what they've been able to achieve uh, in the context of remaining competitive at this level when you consider all of the turmoil and the hardship that, all Ukrainians going through at this moment in time. You can find it on the Athletic app or if you search away from home in whichever podcast feed you use. And we're going to play, also, we're going to play a little teaser at the end of this podcast as well. Oh, lovely. Okay, fine. Well, that's good. Adam Crafton and Joey Durso, both uh, friends of the podcast as well. So let's all go and uh, I can't wait to listen to that. I'm going to look forward to it and let's all go and support that. Thank you, Steve Hankey. Okay, let's take a break now. And when we come back, we will discuss some football. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, let's begin the second half with Chelsea nil, one Arsenal, JJ. Uh, This was a big game and a big team won. Yeah, I thought Arsenal were brilliant in this game. I think it was everything. You know when you talk about players who say the manager sees every single thing that could possibly happen in the game and they they were prepared? I think Arsenal were ready for everything in this match. And it's weird because Graham Potter's obviously got his team in transition. They're trying to learn how he wants to play under them, which is not hugely dissimilar to what Tuchel was doing. It's It's not exactly the same, but it's, you know, it's not a world way. Um, and they were doing clever things like having... What you saw basically throughout this game is that Chelsea's midfield kept being emptied. They were playing a 4-2-3-1, but it was lopsided. They focused on the right-hand side, and I think that was because they were scared of Martinelli getting in behind them. So they were trying to stop them at source on that left side, and they had a couple of bits going on, basically. that were I've done it in a video on Tifo IRL where it's far more in-depth than what I'm struggling to say here. But... Arsenal were doubling up in the wide areas. They were creating space for themselves. They were they had a game plan, so they started off playing in a certain way and finished in a certain way. At the end, they weren't dropping deep. They were pushing up. They were pushing tighter up, squeeze, like squishing Chelsea in so they couldn't get out. And what you saw was there was no dialogue between the front players of Chelsea and the defence, and then they didn't have a midfield because they were being dragged out wide. So Arsenal were managing to do this thing that was vacating the middle so they could then play out wide with an overload and preventing Chelsea from playing out because Aubameyang wasn't dropping in to do what he's supposed to do. He wasn't going left enough to try and help out in the, the wide area because then what you had, that lopsided uh, 4-2-3-1, what I mean by that is um, Raheem Sterling was a right winger and then Kai Havertz was uh, the, the 10, but really he was the right side. So he was in the, in the half space almost next to the winger and then Mason Mount was playing as a 10, so you're, there's no left-sided player, which should have been filled up by Kukurea on that side and probably Aubameyang swapping, rotating with Mount. So it seems like a little bit of... Well, it's a lack of cohesion probably with the players and understanding the rules and they don't have the partnerships just yet to make that work. And so Saka was keeping Kukurea pinned back, mm. which meant that they lost that. a very interesting that. battle, those two players in there. Yeah, and I think what... I mean, if you play Cesar Aspilicueta as your right-back, I think the hope might be that Kukurea is essentially a wing-back, not a full-back, so then they can turn into the three. The back four becomes a three. Um, the cent- two central centre-backs you know, start to cover more of the pitch and Aspilicueta tucks in because then Sterling's your wide right and Kukurea's your wide left because he can do that but you can also change it on the other side. It's, uh, the theory behind the tactics of it makes sense, but it just didn't work, and I think it's because of what Arsenal did. And had Gabriel Jesus been a little bit taller, he would have scored a diving header. They created two big chances. I think there was one that Partey took off the head of Martinelli or someone like that in the box. I can't remember who did it. The ball came in the box and Partey took it when he should have just left it for the header at the back post. Probably would have been another goal. It's only 1-0, but I think they really had this dominated. And... Um, I wonder what Chelsea fans would would thought of what their team looks like just now because that's the first time they've lost two games in a row like uh, before Tuchel. Tuchel never really had that, and I think whereas we know Potter's a great uh, tactical manager, and he's clearly like very he's very normal. There's the thing I'm trying to say. Potter's a very normal person. Tuchel is not, <laughs> and so what you see Barcelona have got Man United in the. <laughs> I told you. I said they were getting them. Oh, I'm so excited about that. 
Best of the test of the Europa League, Barcelona, Manchester United. Draw. Oh my very god! Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> this is like the nineties yeah. embedded into two aging giants <laughs> oh clashing out. It's like uh, when uh, Pedri when, versus McTominay. I love it when Rocky and Apollo came back to fight each other in their sixties or whatever. Did that happen? I don't know. Anyway, uh, we will talk about Chelsea. I want to stay on Arsenal though yeah. for a moment, John, because you tweeted over the weekend that the uh, the Chelsea Arsenal game very good example of Arsenal's narrow rest defence, and then you you slung some. some some heat at the sky pundits you said they were bad people uh, yeah and there wasn't you, even they're sky, wrong and you BT. hate them <laughs> and it was bt yes. and uh, and you said everyone that isn't you is a bad person and doesn't know what they're talking about what did you mean by all of that well when i said everyone is bad i meant you actually that was just a just me for you and it's very interesting to hear from your internal perspective that i represent everyone yeah. to you you very are everything to me yeah. and everything is bad. but what about arsenal's narrow rest defense Sounds like a bird, doesn't it? A small bird. The narrow rest defence, you know? Like you'd find it in an ornithological museum. Oh, look, look, Daddy. There's a, there's a narrow rest defence over there. What about very them, though? Bird-themed this episode. Yeah, it? very bird-themed. Yeah, rest defence. It's interesting hearing JJ talking about the thing that Arsenal did really well in the second half was like squeezing Chelsea high up the pitch. Because I think my criticism of Arsenal... In, I guess the first half of the season so far has been that they get go ahead in games really well and then they struggle to control games later on. And I think part of that is to do with the fact that they're not brave enough to push teams deeper. And so what they do is they try to possess the ball and it's easier to possess the ball deeper in your structure. So it's easier to play it around your defence, etc. But also if you lose the ball in that situation, it's much easier for the opposition to to score and cause you problems. Whereas if you do what Manchester City do, which is control the game start to finish and they push right up and they keep oppositions pinned in... Not only do you, not only is it easier counterintuitively for you to control the ball, but also if you lose the ball, it's a lot harder for opponents to to get to get back towards you. And so, a lot of that is to do with the fact that Arsenal were committing players forward, and to do that, you have to have what we call a rest defence. Now, rest defence is like a cool, trendy word in tactical circles, and trendy. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> Are you, are you done? <laughs> yeah? I hate everyone. Yeah, I'm done. Thanks. But yeah, to, to commit players forward, you have to be really clear about what your structure is in possession so that if you lose the ball, you can then defend. So that's what rest defence is. Like, it comes from a German phrase, mm. Restverteidigung. As all the cool kids' trendy <laughs> yeah. words do. I was going to try and make up a word for it that sounded yeah. German and it would have sounded like that. So. <laughs> hey, you know when everyone started to say wicked? That comes from the German word Verkeider, doesn't it? Uh, which means to be cool, right. of course. Now, please continue. Or evil. evil. But yeah, people think rest defence means like relaxing, right? Rest. When, we te- when, when an English person says rest, usually we sort of mean like chilling out, right? But yeah. uh, actually the German phrase, I think, refers more to like everything that's left over. So the rest defence is like, okay, we're all attacking. The remainder what defense. Do, What are the rest of the team doing? Yeah. How are they defending? Right. So... Yeah, so Arsenal do this this dif- dif- well setup in possession where they have the two centre backs and then they have the two full backs usually inverting, so getting quite close in the middle and around the pivot player. So you have like five players in, in rest defence, but you get quite narrow. It allows you to build up quite nicely because you've got a lot of players in the same area. Uh, but also it, they they seed space in the wide areas because the idea is is that 
okay, it will be easy for the opposition to get a player into that wide area and take it down and, and attack you. But for the ball, if the ball is going to go there and then the player has to get towards the goal, it's a lot further distance to travel than, yeah. than the unit who's defending. And so, there's all players in the middle. Yeah. And so Chelsea were set up to try and make the most of this against Arsenal. So they played uh, Raheem Sterling as a wide player and he was basically touchline hugging and he was an out ball. So you can see there's a couple of chances they created in the first half where Kai Havertz ends up in basically the same situation. And that comes from... First Firstly, Mendy playing the ball into that channel. Uh, and then there was another one where the, the um, Arsenal, I think Gabriel lost the ball and then Chelsea attacked really quickly in that channel as well. And in both instances, you can see the way that Arsenal defend. It's like very structured. They do the same thing every time. So I did a thread on Twitter just showing, showing what that is. But the, the important thing to take away from that is that because Arsenal are able to defend with fewer players because they have a very specific structure mm. uh, in possession, um, then it means you can commit for more players forward, yeah. which means you can then control the ball in, in more advanced areas. And was your point to suggest that uh, whilst perhaps at half-time pundits were concerned that Arsenal were giving up yeah. so much space in the wide areas, you would concur with what JJ said at the beginning, which is that they predicted everything mm. and they didn't mind giving that space? It's up. a gamble. So yeah. you know that you're giving up that wide area. And what I was trying to show with my thread is that despite the fact that Chelsea were trying to exploit that, which is something that Arsenal are giving up actually Arsenal defended both of those moments really well mm. and stopped them from generating more dangerous yeah chances. I think they also um, were able to switch slightly like switch systems slightly within the compared to, to blah, 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 blah. they were trying to react to what Chelsea were doing mm. so if the normal build-up shape would be a 2-3 with the, the fullbacks being inverted around the central pivot in this game what they were doing was they were playing a 3-2 so they changed it so Zinchenko was getting very close to party and basically playing as another midfielder, like a really basically he becoming the deep line playmaker next to party, also doing the same sort of thing from that deep position. And what I like, I mean, it's becoming more common now is that teams rather than having the fullback being the widest player hugging the touchline, it's the wingers, which makes total sense because the wingers are the most dangerous attacking players you can get in those positions. So if you get Saka or Martinelli one v one with a fullback. That's much better than having a fullback yeah. who's already run all the way up there. Yeah. Then taking them on, and you think like Liverpool's. I mean, attacking uh, menace came a lot from their fullbacks when they were at their absolute best, and now they're trying to revert to not having that quite so much because it's not the done thing anymore. It's almost like it's, the trend has changed, or it's that cycle's over. And Guardiola's been doing this. He was doing it at Bayern Munich a lot earlier with the inverted fullbacks, so you can manage the counterattack. It's not just for build-up. It's a, like John saying as well. It's to manage the counterattack. So when you're higher up the pitch with that shape. Suddenly you've got, rather than having two centre-backs, a one pivot player and two wide full-backs in position which leave space in those particular areas, you're sort of hedging your bets and keeping players in the middle of the pitch. So even though you're not directly next to someone, you're blocking space someone could use to make them think differently about how they get the out ball. Right. And you saw it against Chelsea where they couldn't get it into Aubameyang and Havertz because mm. they were they're well managed yeah well they managed to win the game 1-0 it, it potentially could have been more there was a fantastic chance or a good opportunity in the first half that Gabriel Jesus had John he missed it it was a, it was a headed opportunity I think if he'd got a head on it it probably would have gone in or at least to say the XG for that individual chance probably would have been fairly high he did get a touch on it so it should I think be registered as an expected let me have a look. Well, a lovely small detail. But um, that sort of that kind of led the commentators at the time to talk about um, how Gabriel Jesus probably underperforms as a as a as a goal scorer, which I think is fair. But it, I was struck during the game that I feel like that conversation because it's the sort of it's the kind of one fact known about him. 
it's the one detraction because he's so good everywhere else. And in comparison to the rest of his ability on a pitch, it does stand out as um, as the negative. That people just kind of say it all the time, even in situations when it's not necessarily appropriate. Um, in terms of Gabriel Jesus' contribution to Arsenal uh, since he's joined the summer, it's like hard to argue anything other than very, very, very important. Um, but in terms of his goal-scoring record specifically, he does underperform. Yeah, largely. I think there's been maybe one season in the last five where he's overperformed his expected goals. The, and the what, date, do, what do you mean by that? In terms of explain expected goals. Yeah, what do you mean by the fact that one in the last five seasons he's overperformed? Yeah, so obviously every time uh, a player takes a shot, then the stats nerds can generate a probability for that t- shot to be scored. And that is simply based on a number of different variables. It depends on the model. Uh, but what they do is they take every, they take thousands and thousands of chances from historical data they, and, they, and they assess you know, whether or not that goal was scored in that situation. And what, you, what you're then trying to do is build a model which can look at a number of variables. So the most important one is shot positioning, right? If you're in front of the goal, you're more likely to score than if you're to the side of the goal or if you're close to the goal, you're more likely to score than if it's a long way away. There are other variables that are taken into account. So stats bomb, I know they take like the ball height into account. So if the ball's off the floor, they'll measure how high it is. They'll take into account things like defensive positioning, where the goalkeeper is positioned, etc. And the idea then is that you take all of these data points and you can be fairly confident that you know in general that that sh- sh- shot that you've taken would be taken uh, would be scored in a certain percentage of time but what you can do is you can then aggregate all of those chances that Gabriel Jesus had add them all up and say you know the average player would score would expect them to score yeah you'd more. expect them to score so for example I think one season he he scored 12 goals from about 14 expected goals so right. you would say that the average player you would expect to get 14 goals with that with those sorts of chances and is that a big um, is that a big difference so for example we can see in the 2021 season I think he underperformed quite heavily there yeah. I think um, it's about five goals is his worst five goals is the worst what would be considered a big difference so for example if it is 14 goals or, or 12 goals like are we is it a goal or two off or is it, I mean, five sounds five big is, in that five scenario. Five is big, yeah. but uh, the thing is, because it's based on averages, you, you will get, you know, that's like anyone who takes that shot. So that could potentially be a defender or whatever, right? Like, yeah. You would expect them to be worse at finishing now. It's still so playing ex- high level, so it is yeah, all that Yeah, level exactly. Well. So you'd expect still, a striker to overperform. You would expect a good, a player who you consider to be a good finisher to overperform. Right. Now, the thing that the, it's important to note is that Actually, the biggest skill often for strikers is getting into the right place to generate good chances. So the fact that Gabriel Jesus is able to generate the amounts of expected goals that he gets is is a good sign. Um, the fact that he slightly underperforms historically just suggests he may be not quite so good as a, a good a finisher. But, uh, you know, someone like Messi will historically overperform his expected goals we should probably look at the numbers for that so that we so last season he he's underperforming so people say he didn't play very well last season he got six goals in the league but his xg was about 11.3 i think i'm i think i'm, I'm right he did it in the video so that's a massive underperformance from messi especially uh, obviously quite high numbers for games he played in the new cloud all the circumstances that messi had but he was hitting the post a lot or just missing shots it just wasn't quite happening for him which is why he underperformed whereas players like Harry Kane always score over their XG. It's one of the big reasons that Spurs have done so well in recent seasons is that him and Son have overperformed their XG constantly. So Spurs have always been overperforming. And when those players aren't totally on form, that's when they drop down to being below Champions League level. It's what they've really had. Liverpool, the season they won the league over their XG. 
Jesus, I mean, if you look at... It was pretty massive, wasn't it, that performance, the Liverpool season? Yeah, yeah. For, for goals scored, yeah, and especially towards the end of the season as well. Again, I covered that in a video on T4YRL. If you want to have a look at um, what's actually happened to Liverpool, it's called. Now, um, with Jesus, like, so the most goals he's ever scored in a season, in a league season, is 14 goals in 1920 for Man City. It's the most he's scored. And I think he played through the middle an awful lot that season. And for Man City, you're going to score loads. Raheem Sterling scores loads for Man City because he gets lots of chances in high-value areas. But apart from that... He's never really, like he's generally played in the wide areas because he's better suited to being like Guardiola's called him the best defensive presser. I can't remember what the exact phrase was, but the best like pressing forward in the world because he's able to attract players against Real Madrid in the Champions League once. He played wide left, it was also a wing back, also a forward. He does all the work you need of him and then can is very, very clever in the final third, especially to rotate positions with players, to drag people out of position and get himself into position. And that's why his XG tends to be higher than lots of players who play wide, because he does get in the right positions. But his finishing still would, when he over, underperforms it so often, you think you just can't rely on him to score 25 goals a season, 20 goals a season. He'll get you about 14, like a really good inside forward, which is probably what he is. But you want to play him through the middle because he can also lead that press and do certain things that other players can't. I mean, maybe the same as like Bobby Firmino, who can play through the middle as a, a central forward. But you would, don't think of him as a striker because he's not. He's better suited to be a bit deeper. And he sometimes goes into wide areas as well. Um, and Jesus may be similar. And I think uh, Arsenal going to the window, they said that they'd like to be able to invest because they want to take advantage of this huge position they're in. And I think they'd look at someone who can do the defensive work, but also give them something in front of goal that can get them just the extra bit that they lack. Because Nketiah, I think, seems to lack that as well. The real clinical nature that you need to finish it. And you look at what... I mean, Liverpool identified a need to have a striker who score goals. They got Nunez in, mm-hmm. and City obviously got Holland, which is a different kind of style of player to what they've got. But it gives you they want themselves something. a Robin van Persie. Yeah, well, I don't know. There's loads of players. I mean, that, that boy at Benfica we talked about earlier, Gonzalo Ramos, might be a half decent effort. And then you've got Benjamin Sesco, but he's going to South Ed Leipzig, isn't he? Yeah, he's really already signed. Yeah. Okay, well, listen. Before we go to the break, now uh, uh, we do have the Europa League fixes in so I'll just run through them very quickly Barca Man United it's, as we it's maybe worth before. it's maybe worth n- noting that this is the the knockout stages to get into the round of 16 so oh these are the these are the teams who dropped out of the Champions League playing against the second place teams right in, so there's more there's more yeah to come. so these games will be played and then it will go to the the round of 16 fine fine okay so Barca Man United we've got Juve Nantes uh Sporting versus Michelin uh, Shakhtar have uh, have uh, drawn uh, Stade Ren. Stade Ren? How do you say Ren? Ren. Yeah, the, it's, the, it's the role, isn't it? The Stade Ren. 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 Ren's for anyone uh, who doesn't know that. Ajax uh, Union Berlin. That's a quite an exciting game, isn't it? Uh, Leverkusen Monaco Sevilla PSV and Salzburg Roma, where there is no rolled R. Anyway, let's go to a break, and when we come back, we'll discuss some more football. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, you'll never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. <laughs> traveling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about should that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They kill him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ah, yes. We have a couple of things to sort of crack on with here. Tottenham Hotspur 1 to Liverpool. JJ, Liverpool, good first half, uh, scored two goals and then spent much of the rest of the time sort of clinging on to the edge of a cliff by their fingernails. They look knackered. Yeah. Liverpool look absolutely, they look so tired. Uh, they've had loads of injury problems, as we know. Klopp, and I think Robertson said in their post-match that they were talking about how they knew that uh, they'd get chances to score in the first half because Spurs start slowly, but that Spurs would create far more in the second half and be much better. And uh, this really was a game of two halves, and I think Liverpool started really well, had control of it. Um, they are playing... The variation on the 4-3-3, which is more of a four-diamond two with uh, Salah and Nunes, the two strikers, in possession and Firmino dropping to make the diamond. But out of possession, they put Firmino next to Salah through the middle because he's much, much better at defending from the front and showing the ball where it's supposed to go. And uh, I think they played well. I thought I think Kanate is he's probably not underrated. He's probably rated, but he's brilliant. He's a really good player. We saw the the best and some of the worst of maybe not the worst is really harsh. And Alexander Arnold, like, again, the, the the caveat always like, like obviously like watching Alexander Arnold, he's a great player. The best and some of the less best. Yeah, some of the less best. So like he's hitting these um, first time passes that are going 60, 70 yards across the pitch to open up the play. They're amazing. His delivery is phenomenal. Like technique, all of it's fine. And then just can get beaten with the physical side of defending, getting beaten for pace, beaten for strength, balance. Um, looks frustrated quite a lot on the pitch sometimes because it's very rhythmic what you just said there, wasn't it? Beat for pace, beat for strength, balance. Beat I'm, for just in a, I'm in a flow state. I'm So I think he looks a bit frustrated. Try sometimes, and rhyme the rest of it. Try and do the rest of it in a sort of spoken word. Thing. Uh, I'm JJ, and I'm here to say Alexander Arnold is a good player. At the end of the day, <laughs> he may lose some of his defensive jewels, but when he plays on top. He's the Why crown jewels. He rules. <laughs> oh, he rules. Leave me alone. And then... <laughs> jewels was a bold word to go with for a rhyme there. <laughs> the problem with Spurs in this game is they have problems from previous matches that are the same. They start slow in the first half, and in the second, they come to the match and they get the... <laughs> that's good, that's good. Okay. Well, how, okay, make sure, try to rhyme something with Kulusevski. Uh, okay, hang on. Emerson Royal needs to put some more pressure yeah. uh, because when the left <laughs> winger gets down near to him, Spurs become in danger. Yeah. It's a half rhyme. That, that works. Yeah, that's that fine. work. 
But the game really Antonio changed Conte when they took on Kulisevsky. Likes to say he really relies <laughs> on Dejan Kulisevsky. Oh, ah, he's coming that. in. I wanted to have the Kulisevsky call. To be you, fair, you take it. if you're sitting in the background, very easy to rhyme. Yeah. You know? So uh, anyway, so like backseat rhymer. Yeah, backseat rhymer. Um, just to like to chop that one off, uh, Kulisevsky was immediately. Uh, made them much much better when they came on the pitch. Uh, this isn't rhyming. No, I'm I'm out of that now. Oh, you're finished. Yeah, that he, bit's done. The, the Spurs like to play Perisic as a, a forward next to Kane because they've got injury problems just like Liverpool do. They're really short of the firepower that makes them as good as they should be. Certain players aren't performing as well as they want them to be, and the like, defense especially. You can see Eric Dyer made that horrible mistake passing back with his head. He could see Salah as well in his peripheral. Like I don't know how why he makes his decision still as soon as he starts to look like a quite a capable confident defender he does something like that and it's it's such a weird player like he'll always be just below he like he's such a talented player out there but he always has that in him that sometimes player. people just do stupid things i guess yeah i, I know mean, i do i do all the time yeah. yeah i mean i just don't have to do it on the football pitch with sure. one of the best strikers of all time next yeah. to me yeah. Apart from when we played five aside last week. Oh, who was there, John? Did, did a different player come that was one of the best <laughs> players of all time? Anyway, we need to sort of wrap this up because oh, we're yeah. really we're really dragging today. The podcast gets longer and longer every week. Is there anything else, John, that you would like to say about Liverpool or Spurs before we move on? And by say, I mean brief no there's nothing perfect okay Aston Villa 3 1 Manchester United big game John Unai Emery coming in with the heat I mean it wasn't that hot but um, it was a fantastic result yeah really good and interesting to see what the impact of a good coach can have in a very short space of time I don't want to blow that bald head of yours up too much for fear (laughs) that it explodes and the skin goes everywhere but um, you did sort of predict the the, the 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 formation the the um the state of play for Aston Villa and you weren't far off I wasn't far off but I also was far off so let's let's be honest right. about that but okay. yeah we saw we saw the 442 that we expect of <laughs> Schrodinger's tactician over here. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the formation yeah um, yeah that's a science joke which sure yeah really landed <laughs> There's, they there's someone a, out there. They played a there's 4-4-2. someone out there. I believe this. Yeah, aliens. Going exactly. On. We all believe in aliens. Um, they played a four four two. Yes, but it was a bit lopsided. Yeah. So his his four four two at Villarreal was was quite lopsided as well, and it was it was designed around getting one of your fullbacks quite far forward, and then having all of these safety nets to stop that becoming a problem defensively. So they would sit in a four four two mid block usually in in the defensive phase, but then they would he, he used them. Um, midfielders who uh, you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in, in a wide um, berth in, in, the, in the midfield line. So he used Francis Coquelin for a while um, as, a, as a sort of left winger. Um, but actually the idea was that Coquelin would drift inside create space for the, the fullback to then move into and then you end up looking a lot closer to like a, a 3-5-2 and then you would have like a more attacking player on the other side of that midfield and they would like often go in behind the strikers you'd have maybe one of the strikers dropping in to, to help out and so the structure changed a lot but there was all of these there was all of these um, safety nets to make sure that so for example on the on the right the midfielder would push forward but then you'd have Juan Foyt who is more of a more of a defensive fullback on that side so that would cover any sort of frailties that that opened up and we saw similar things happening with with Villa I think I suspect it, it was it was maybe a little bit more two-sided so it felt as though at times it looked like Villa were playing almost like a four triple two so their wide players were drifting inside so they had Jacob Ramsey on one side and then Buendia on the other um, but I, I think it was it was similar to the Villarreal approach 
in uh, but but flipped so rather than the the left-sided midfielder drifting inside and allowing the left back to get forward it was the the it was Jacob Ramsey who was drifting inside and allowing the the right back to get forward but the, a little bit of that was happening on the other side as well because Luca Dini is obviously a, a fairly aggressive fullback as well so it just gave them the opportunity for both of their midfielders to sort of come inside generate space for the fullbacks to get into as well and then we saw Leon Bailey playing as a center forward with Ollie Watkins who I think is maybe the most perfect Unai Emery player um, just play, playing the sorry I just swallowed my tongue um, the Arno Danjuma role um, <clears throat> quite quite nicely there as well yeah. and yeah just look really interesting things in terms of so at, at, at Villarreal we saw a, like a more creative passer with a more defensive player in the midfield too yeah. and we saw the same thing happening but like Leander Dendonka as the as maybe the more defensive player who can ball carry and then Douglas Louise being used as a player who they're going to generate space around so he can get the ball and help them transition forward so yeah lots of similarities between the VRL side but also kind of interesting different tweaks because he's obviously got a different squad different players can play different roles so yes it's sort of what I said in the video like it will be something like this structure but he will find different roles for different players because that's how players work well we look forward to seeing more from Aston Villa JJ Manchester United without Bruno Fernandes looked a little bit dry just putting loads of crosses in they get no creativity through the middle yeah even with Christian Eriksen there Ten Hag actually said after the game, didn't he, that he was a bit disappointed with how quick they were to put a cross in. It was, I think he was making the point that it wasn't him asking them to do that. Oh, hang on, Carl uh, Anker texted me and he said something funny about it. Was mm. it? Uh, what other things I will uh, say about Manchester United? Uh, Ten, Hag, Ten Hag called the amount of crosses United attempted as stupid. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> He's a. Uh, this is the thing. Like so. A lot of things that Man United do in games are not what I think they've been coached to do. Yeah. And that's been a big problem for several years. Yes, it has. And Ten Hag's clearly getting a bit annoyed with it now and again, but he's mm. he's like quietly annoyed. I think he's probably furious behind yeah. closed doors with him. We haven't got very long, so can yes. I ask you, I think, the most important question as it currently stands with this Manchester United team, right? Can you expect to win a game when you start in a Premier League match against a team like Aston Villa who've got their new manager bounce and have got all decent players and whatever. I, I know they've got injuries. When they start with a 38-year-old forward who cannot do the main thing that the team needs to do in order to win. We hear from John and you all the time that pressing is a, is a, is a team game and I'm not saying that Ronaldo can't press at all but, it, but you know, being defensively positionally aware is just it's just never been part of his game and is not what he contributed at other clubs previously either, right? So the expectation that a 38-year-old version of Ronaldo would be able to do that and fill in for Rashford or Anthony Martial in those role, in that role, who are both uh, pretty adept in that uh, area. I mean, it just seems like... It just seems like a stupid idea. I know they don't have anybody else, no, but like, but I, it's a bad idea, right? And doesn't it all... The, the, many of the problems start there. How do you create chances for him? If he's not making runs, he wants to play in this little other space. He's mostly in the middle trying to get into to space to feed off the scraps of things, but they're not getting them. So all the chances are going wide from the, the fullbacks just lobbing the ball into the box, which is not ideal because the team sit back against them. They can't create. They can create in transition, which is when Bruno Fernandes is very good. And though they missed him in this game... They actually probably, I was thinking about it, having done a video on it, I think actually they probably have the same problems because Fernandez has the same problems in the middle. Yeah. But he's not as, he's not, he's not Ozil the way he creates chances. He yeah. just gets the ball and sort of makes it happen. I and mean, Ronaldo, Ericsson really on their team who, who, who has got the, the expertise in breaking down their blocks. Right? Yeah, but even that, I mean, it's still he has to cross the ball into the box if they're starting to get someone deep. And if you don't play with intensity and speed and uh, energy, then you lose that. And Man United don't really have that at the moment. And they're playing, Rashford is an outside winger in this game mm. and Garnacho's 
he'll be decent, I think, but he's not quite there yet. Sure. And Ronaldo is like an elite Grant Holt. <laughs> put it, put it, yeah. Put it this way, right? Um, if they didn't have Ronaldo, and let's forget that it was Ronaldo, yeah. would Manchester United ever seek to buy a player of that profile and age? To play in their system, no. The answer is no. No, right? I mean the closest I can think of as an example would be Barca signing Lewandowski for the amount of money they did, but he's still sure. in his prime. Like he yeah. won the Ballon d'Or a couple of years. And ago. also, he suits their system, right? I think Ronaldo might just also be having a bad season, and like there's loads to it. I can't. I mean, I'm, course, I'm joking I'm with not, the Grant Holt thing. I mean, that's yeah, a joke. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, like he's one of the best players of all time. He is. Grant Holt was very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah what well, was the elite? Grant Holt is an oxymoron. Surely, Grant yeah. Holt was the elite. He was elite. Yeah, was the elite. I'm just, I'm just saying that to be funny. To be clear, everyone who's going to slag me off for this. Yeah. Um, I th- like it's against that low block. It's hard. I don't think you could put Ronaldo in like that Liverpool team who would struggle with breaking down that same sort of team and expect yeah. him to score. But equally, if they played with intensity and energy like they're supposed to. You might have got more crosses in the box, which would then give him the second ball to be able to score from. Maybe. It's a bunch of things that are not coming right at the same time. Man United are clearly in transition. It's going to take two mm. years before they're anywhere near challenging for stuff. Mm. But they are getting better in a Ten Hag. I think John covered it in the video recently. It's really good. What do you think, just briefly, about the, the Ronaldo situation? Yeah, I think that... Insofar as it is a there's, situation. There's two issues. One is that the off-ball stuff isn't as good. And when you're... Pl- the one of the biggest jumps that we've seen from Manchester United has been under Ten Hag has been their ability to control games out of possession, and when you're and when you're doing high intense and high territorial pressing, you're only as good as your weakest link because as soon as one person isn't good enough, then there's a weakness that the opposition can then use to to try and get around. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is like even in t- like you could put up with that if his on-ball stuff was was good enough and yeah. I don't think at the moment he's doing enough to justify the the, the detriment he has on the team's pressing yeah. in terms of the, his his on, in possession stuff so mm. yeah it, it's just it's just a natural thing that happens players decline like Cristiano Ronaldo is what 36 37 38 38 yeah. he's, oh, he's older than me and look at me I'm, yeah. if You'd you need if really you need an example of something that has declined he's 37 he's 37 yeah why do I think he's 38? He's 38 in February. Oh, okay. By the time this podcast comes out, or by the time many of the games we've discussed in this podcast are played. Well, again, in reference to time not being linear, maybe you listen to this in March, you will then be 38. Maybe I did. This will exist. <laughs> yeah. Until then. Let's not release the podcast until March. Yeah. Then you'll be right. Perfect. <laughs> Let's do that. But also release it today. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, really you've been watching uh, Interstellar again, haven't you? No, I've been not. Christopher <laughs> Nolan's been trying to convince you of some sci-fi I'll tell you what he has theories. been listening to, mm. which questions the nature of time, it is oh, yeah. my TIFO Talks. That's right, episode. John. I was just about to ask you. Uh, well, firstly, I was going to say that uh, don't clap him, Yes, Steve clap Hankles. me, Hankles. I saw you highlight that and I ignored you because I hate you. Now, listen, <laughs> um, TIFO Talks, you did a, an episode, the episode that came out last week was with Jamie Hamilton. Lovely Scottish accent. I just really A really nice Scottish accent that I enjoyed listening to. And um, did you ask a question? No, 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 not <laughs> no. at all. Don't worry, JJ. Don't worry, JJ. You don't need to listen. Oh, no, fine. He's done that thing where he goes, "Oh, I don't need to listen anymore. I can turn off." Um, <laughs> and then the thing, where, like, it's, like, it's the tube thing where I missed the tube stop. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened there. I was paying you a compliment. Oh, sorry. Um, I wasn't. I was making fun of you. Uh, Jamie Hamilton, a UEFA a, a licensed coach guy badge. Got one of those badges. You know, Older. I found out in the past that uh, JJ told me those. They're not even real badges. 
What? <laughs> you wanted like one of those things you, you sew on, like on, yeah. you know when you would go to uh, a, brownies a or something. It's, it's like a card. A, it's like a driving license card. Yeah, well, I've got a card, haven't I? Anyway, listen, <laughs> um, that was a fantastic episode. If people haven't listened to that. Jamie Hatler's very. I really enjoy. You listen to that one? Uh, it's. I said it on Twitter. I think it's one of the most interesting football conversations I've ever listened to. Yeah, it is good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Listen, if you if you subscribe to this feed, if you're listening to this, it, it'll be it'll have dropped into your phone there. If you're watching this on the YouTube's, that one's not a video. Uh, head over to uh, subscribe to the Tifo Football RSS feed on whatever your podcast audio listening platform of choice is. But John, who's coming up uh, this coming Thursday? We've got Dan Pelchin on. Oh, who, yeah, Dan Pelgen. Who has done a podcast with us before. A return visitor. Yeah, and we're talking about data analysis. And I and, and all the new trendy things. <laughs> I can't believe you, of all people, is upbraiding me on the use of the word trendy. I mean, it's why disgusting. would you say that? I'm extremely trendy. Very trendy guy. <laughs> anyway, if you want to listen to in-depth conversations about trendy stuff like football data and geekery, then you can listen to John McKenzie on the TIFO Talks uh, podcast with uh, the lovely Dan Pelchin. Go and listen to that. Uh, JJ Bull the Bullard, thanking you. <laughs> What's the dick? You're just switching off a good lot. <laughs> That's what happened, yes. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. And John McKenzie, thank you. Uh, producer Jamie, thank you very much. Yes, there he goes. And of course, Steve Hankles, our pride and joy. Our very own little Mr. Wall, you know? (laughs) (laughs) See you later, Steve. See ya. Uh, Oh, by the way, before we go, that clip that Steve was talking about before, the the snippet from Away From Home, you can listen to that now. So we'll fade out and you'll be listening uh, to the sounds of that. Audio only. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you video people don't get that but you did get a nice little snippet behind the scenes there we go anyway see you later video people bye 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 video people bye Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all. Yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we woke woke up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. and uh, went to basement. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union. He played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. 
Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dimitro Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons, one uh, seven years, one eight and one four. Okay. What do you tell them? scared so much and we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they they they're scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing all the world that uh, that, uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will stop to play. We'll play, and we will win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive. <laughs> this is Away From Home, episode one, We Believe in Miracles.